Welcome to Sunspots, where we explore the many ways that the Holy Spirit is working in the people, places, ministries, and missions on the surface of the sun, that is, the Synod of the Sun. I'm Valerie Young, your Synod leader. My prayer is that you find inspiration, community, and connection in the sun. Grace and peace to you, Sunspots listeners. We've decided to make some changes around here because there are so many and varied voices in our synod who should be heard. They have things to say and talents to share, so we're passing around the podcast microphone. If you or someone you know has a story to tell, a mission or ministry to share, and you'd like to be passed the microphone, email us at sunspots at synodsun.org. Today's host is the Reverend Elizabeth Brinegar. Elizabeth served as moderator of the Synod in 2019 and currently serves as pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Jacksonville in the Presbytery of Arkansas, the director of operations for Solar Under the Sun, and as the chair of the Synod's Network for Dismantling Racism. I think you're going to love and appreciate this conversation, so I'll let Elizabeth introduce her guests. Hello, welcome to Sunspots, the podcast of the Senate of the Sun. My name is Elizabeth Brenneker. I am a former moderator of the Senate, and I am also a teaching elder in the Presbytery of Arkansas. I am very excited to be with you guys today, and especially to have Sarah and Natasha here. Uh, before we jump into our topic, I want to give you a little bit of their bio. So Sarah is a native Arkansan who works in, lives in Dallas, Texas. She has grown up in the PCUSA and she's a graduate of Wake Forest University, Columbia Theological Seminary and the Clinton School for Public Policy and Public Service. I'm gonna read this sentence directly because it's so good. She is a practical theologian who is living into her call to deconstruct systems and disrupt the status quo in order to seek liberation, justice, and belonging in solidarity with those who live on the margins. I absolutely love that. We're gonna unpack that in a minute. Sarah um, has served as a young adult volunteer at YAV in New Orleans, the moderator of the YAV Alumni Council. She has been on the Committee on Preparation for Ministry, adult co-moderator of the Youth Advisory Council, and on the board of the Presbyterian Youth Workers Association. Sarah enjoys singing Broadway show tunes at the top of her lungs. She enjoys pop culture, random, random road trips, and anything sporting SEC. So you can find her at youth conferences that include energizers. And now Natasha is here, and she is the director of Centering the Sacred, which we're going to talk about in a few. She also serves on the Columbia Theological Seminary admissions team as a connector. She graduated from Holland University with a BA in philosophy and history and North Carolina Central University with an MA in teaching. She currently lives in Kerrville, Texas with her husband, Lorenzo A. Watson. Woo! Lorenzo A. Watson. Don't tell him I said that. And she loves singing, <laughs> teaching, writing, and the arts, and she is passionate about inclusion. So we are just so glad to have you both here today. Now, one of the things... Thank you. I, thank, thank you. you. Oh, goodness. One of the things that they have in common, other than being amazing people, 
is that they are both working on a doctoral degree at Columbia Theological Seminary in Decatur, Georgia. Um, and it is an educational ministry doctoral degree. So guys, I want to start with the question, Christian education. I think it's oftentimes an overlooked part of our spiritual development. And so I want to know what Christian education means to you, what it looks like and why we should care. Okay. Um, Elizabeth, that was a lot of questions at one time. I'm sorry. Do whatever you want. So, so the educator in me is going to say, Elizabeth, let's a- answer and ask one question at a time. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> so um, what is Christian education? Um, I will say that um, since my time in this wonderful cohort filled with esteemed colleagues, I will say that we have worked to unpack that term Mm -hmm. and um, leaning more uh, toward the the idea of spiritual development Mm -hmm. um, as a form of educating Um, with the thought that we should all posture ourselves to be learners at all times, even as teachers, even as educators. Mm -hmm. So in this way, um, spiritual development or spiritual education, uh, particularly Christian education, um, is something that seeks to um, educate, develop the whole person. So we can't just uh, compartmentalize and say we are going to teach our spirit without teaching our physical, emotional, mental. It's all one thing. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that as uh, religious educators, when we seek to develop uh, people ourselves spiritually, we are seeking to develop the whole person. Um, And so for me, one of the things that I've learned is gone are the days where I can feed my mind without feeding my soul, without Mm -hmm. feeding my spirit, without Mm -hmm. feeding my physical person. Oh, that's lovely. I love how you're talking about um, not just mind and spirit, but the whole body. I think that that's something that we oftentimes lose, um, especially when we sit in church and we tend to say Christian education is Sunday school. It's vacation Bible school, it's Bible study. But this idea that it covers your whole life and it cloaks your very being, that's just beautiful. That's beautiful. I love that, Natasha. And one thing I've learned from you, esteemed colleague Sanders, is um, about wholeness, right? So I love that you bring an embodied experience forward um, and a lived experience forward. And I've learned that in our program with our cohort as well. different lived experiences, different intersections where people find themselves in their social location, right? Um, But that wholeness is something that we overlook so often. And it is, and gone are the days where the banking method of sitting in a room and learning this Bible stories or learning it with a cute song and then never looking at it again. So I really appreciate that a lot of our colleagues and our churches are moving toward faith formation. I really appreciate that term. We're continuing to form our faith, children, youth, adults. Natasha and I 
are both people who are passionate about children having agency and voice. And so there's so much intergenerational opportunity that you can find within church contexts and outside of them, right? So there's faith formation that doesn't have to happen in those walls. And I think Christian education can let go of that, I hope. Those those days of you have to be in this classroom with Noah's Ark on the wall um, and, and be in the world uh, because our world changes at a rapid pace. We know that. Um, and that we bring our whole selves, like Natasha is saying. So I really appreciate you calling out being a learner, constantly learning. Uh, in our program, we do often talk about being co-learners in our spaces. And Dr. Christine Hong has really brought that forward. We'll talk about Dr. Hong more because we both love her. But but being co-learners, and Parker Palmer talks about that, really just elevating what that means from your social location. So that's what that's where I am currently mm-hmm. as a teacher and a learner. I love that. Um, thank you very much, both of you, for that perspective. Um, so this degree that you're working on, can you tell yeah. me a little bit more about it? Because based on what you both said, <laughs> it sounds like so much more than, as I said, the way we traditionally classify Christian education. So yeah. Yeah. Tell me it's what much more. I'm at. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, um, sunspots and, um, those who would listen, the Bible says those who have an ear, let them hear. Um, so part of the reason why this, um, cohort is the way it is, is because this is how we've made it to be mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. I do believe. And I, and I think that both, doctors Dawson and Hong will tell you that each cohort is different. Um, When I entered this program, first of all, it wasn't because I didn't have anything else to do, right? It was because I was called to this space and everybody else in the cohort, in our cohort seven, hey y'all, will say that they had other things going on. I mean, we have a cohort who was pastoring thousands in Madagascar, a cohort member, a cohort member who was pastoring and planning a wedding, a cohort member who was a pastor and and opening up multiple churches in the midst, cohorts, cohort members who are active counselors. So we are not people who are just like, what what should we do next with our time? <laughs> extra thing to do? <laughs> next so, degree, right? <laughs> let's let's get a degree. We don't have time for one of the things that I was very intentional about, and I think that um, both uh, Doc, Doctors Hong and Doctor Dawson were welcoming of was bringing my whole self. I don't know how to leave any anything that involves me at the door. And so part of the welcome is when we embark in theological education, particularly in this cohort program, the invitation to bring all of who we are to the learning helps shape the experience that we have. And in shaping our experience, we are learning because we are able to bring the experience and unpack it among uh, people who are ready for it in a space that is brave in a space that um, needs the life experiences that we are enduring in order to help form our research, mm-hmm. right? So all of the research that we are doing um, 
is about the lives we are living or the lives we have lived or the lives we hope to see for the future of um, the Presbyterian church or the church at large. And so um, the, the, the things that we're looking at, the curriculum that we develop, <laughs> that we are developing, um, and this is an ongoing process, it is, it is, very, it is a very intense and intentional Mm-hmm. Um, process and and the learning that we do and the unlearning, the disequilibrium right. that takes place, the things that we brought in with us that we thought, okay, this is this is good, this is who I am, this is solid, and to see that crumble has been good. But then to also to have a safe place for the crumbling to take right. place, right? Mm-hmm. It's been yeah. very nice. Come on, Sarah, what you got? Well, personally, looking at different programs, I mean, I'm a nerd. I love school. Um, Elizabeth, you know, shared in my bio some of those previous educational experiences. I mean, part of it for me was a PhD program is always been this like pinnacle, right? And the more I thought about it, the more I thought I cannot be by myself getting a PhD in theology. Um, There are some great programs out there and some that, you know, in retrospect, I'm like, wow, I wish I had known some of these other people doing this work like Vanderbilt's doing incredible work Um, and they are incredible colleagues in ministry. But I applied for this program because I needed a cohort. And that to me was something important. If I got a PhD, if I had gotten into a program somewhere um, and I get to this, you know, writing and reading stage, I would, you know, be watching Netflix and eating gummy bears, you know, like, I mean, I'm just not, I need people to hold me accountable. And I am not, um, I'm not a person who's going to do that well by myself. So those people out there getting PhDs, more power to you, because I could not do it personally. When I entered that space um, in the fall with Drs. Hong and Dawson, it, you know, Natasha, meeting Natasha, meeting our other cohort mates, and she's right. There were people doing so many other things. This is a part-time doctoral degree with people who are doing full-time ministry, full-time parenting full-time, teaching, preaching, what have you, right? And so we all brought ourselves to that space from different places, and and it is a unique space. It's one of those things where this program is evolving. It's not perfect, and we've shared that with the uh, professors and leaders, and we know that, but it is one of those where if you are looking for a doctorate of ministry, but you're not ordained, there is not a space for you. There, I mean, that's, that is that is the reality. I could be wrong. There could be, you know, folks have told me, no, no, you can do it if you're not ordained. But personally, as a person, you know, I'm not ordained, right? So it is looking for that degree with a cohort. And then as I got into it, it was... I am really a practical theologian and I started to own that instead of a youth worker or instead of a church worker or these other labels that had been put on me. And Dr. Hong really helped me develop that. Um, and owning that, I 
that's a certain that is a that is a naming and claiming <laughs> that this program has really helped me yeah. do. Um, and as Natasha's saying, like they created that space and that cohort and and a particular group of people. We came to Columbia a couple times a year, but we were doing work throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And then when the pandemic hit, we did things apart from each other, which was fairly difficult. But you know, Natasha and I were saying this the other day. We were catching up and if we had been doing the work, we how we used to do it, where we would meet in the library after our class and our our cohort would, a couple people would have lunch or the whole class or whomever could do it. And then we would meet in the library. So we lived together, we worked together. <laughs> like right. it was, a, it was like seminary part two, you know, Elizabeth, like we went to seminary at the same time mm-hmm. and it, it was like that. And it was a gift. But I'll tell you what was different and what's interesting to Natasha's point is that we would be in the library and some of our classmates, cohort mates would then need to call back home because they had pastoral care concerns or they're preaching on Sunday or, you know, they had kids to check in on and family members to check in on. I mean, it's not like we were just doing it for funsies. Everybody was like, (laughs) everyone had other jobs, things to do. So that's the interesting thing about this degree is that you have to actually want to be in this program. (laughs) Right. You gotta be, yeah, you gotta be called to it. That's for sure. You gotta be called to it. So I think it's unique. Um, It, it, it calls to people who are preachers, teachers, ordained, not ordained, educators, church workers. We got people in there who aren't church workers, but who are called to this. So it's an it's an interesting intersection of people. Um, and it's not it's not in a it's hard to put in a box. I think that's what's always mm-hmm. interesting for me. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers all of your question, but yeah. You know, Elizabeth had like 18 questions at the beginning. <laughs> we had to break it down. <laughs> Whatever you want to tell me is what I want to hear. <laughs> So I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah. Now, I mean, it's go ahead. interesting, right? I well, I was just gonna say, like, it's been interesting. Natasha and I um, got to take a class with um, with Dr. Riggs and Marcia Riggs is amazing. Um, but Dr. Riggs taught this class, a very short Jan term class, that has been so formative for me um, about women of color as public theologians. And at the end of it, and we were in there with all these other, you know, classmates from different, yeah, different folks that we had met, I had met before, I can't speak for Natasha. And we, we um, formed friendships, like I formed friendships with different people that I didn't know, which was super cool. But part of it was, Dr. Riggs doesn't mess around, right? Right. And at the end of that time, our final assignment was, okay, now you're going to post your public theology. What is public theology? Take something, look at it through a theological lens and put it out into the world. And that is not my experience in seminary round one. <laughs> we sat in a room, we talked about some things, people's brains exploded about different stuff, but it was, I mean, 
if you're going to be a public theologian, then you need to be a public theologian. You have to take risks and be in that space together. Um, and that's what I have found is really valuable. There's more work to do in the curriculum, but I felt like those kind of opportunities um, have been incredible. Wow. Well, you guys have kind of already touched on this, but um, as the whole body of Christ, we know that one person cannot be in the body without being affected by the body and affecting everyone else. So you've talked a little bit about the ways that you have been affected by your cohort, ways that your cohort affects you. And I love that you've taken this into the public arena. Um, how do you think that your work in this program and your work, hopefully when the program is done and it may look different, um, it should look different, right? From here compared mm -hmm. to there. Um, how do you think that this is impactful on the world around you? Um, I know, especially that you are both very interested in inclusivity, in justice, in fighting that status quo, in fighting those things that are frankly wrong and sinful in our world. So mm -hmm. how is what you're learning stepping outside of where you are and affecting the community around you? Elizabeth, let me ask you this before I answer that question. Okay, when, I'm ready. When you, when you say that um, we, we uh, being in the body of Christ and not being affected, that, mm -hmm. that people can't do that. Can you say a little bit more about that? That was kind of your opening to the question you're leading. Right, right definitely. So I, here's what I learned in seminary. Um, <laughs> my theology of the body of Christ is modeled after the community of the three persons of the Holy Trinity. And the idea that uh, the interpenetration, the periochoresis of the Trinity is that one person, yeah, thank you. One person can't do something without affecting the other two persons of the Trinity. And so if uh, Jesus was going to do something, then Jesus's work affects creator and spirit. But also Jesus has to remain open to being affected by creator and spirit. So what you do as a member of the body affects me as a member of the body. And I have to be open to that. I have to remain vulnerable to your actions and the way that you challenge me, frankly, to be a better person, to be a better follower of Christ. Mm -hmm. But it also means that the same is true for you for when I push. Just, is that answering your question a little bit? Hmm. Oh, oh, for sure. Okay. Oh, for sure. <laughs> the reason I asked it is because sometimes I need people to hear stuff. Okay. Mm. To hear beyond what was said. Right. And so mm. I want, I want it to be a full, I, I wanted the question to be more full. And I know that it is, I understood it very fully. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I need for the listeners to understand what you're saying and the implication even, we'll flip that a little bit. What is the implication when we are closed? Mm -hmm. What does that imply when I, when I am operating and I refuse to consider the impact of, my, of what I'm doing on other people? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
even though I am called as a Christian and a follower of Christ to consider, Christ's whole journey was consideration. Christ's whole reason for coming to earth was out of consideration, not just for Christ's self, but for the humanity that creator created. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was a promise that I will not destroy creation again. Mm-hmm. But in order to uphold that promise, because God was very angry, God creator was very angry. Mm-hmm. Jesus was like, okay, we're going to have to do something because mm-hmm. you real upset. But we also have a promise to creation. So what can we do? Mm. to uphold our promise Mm. and what we as humans who have entered into Christianity have agreed to was to help uphold that promise when we don't do that not only are we not backing the claim and holding up the cause of Christ but we become liars Mm. we we are essentially saying yes I made this promise but I don't have to uphold it. When we as people who have been ordained or have taken uh, an oath to do no harm, unravel or say, never mind to what I said I would do. Mm. Then we are, we are saying that I'm okay with saying that I'm going to follow Christ but not following Christ. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay for whatever the repercussion of this, of this action is. I'm okay for what we have written on paper and not upholding it. So the implication of us not following through with the promise of Christianity that we have made is severe. Mm-hmm. And it costs people their lives every single day. And when I made an oath as an educator to do no harm Mm -hmm. and to advocate for those who needed an advocate, not only did I I make my oath before humanity and humans that would one day rely on me to fulfill my promise, but I made a vow to God. Mm -hmm. And it is not worth me going back on my vow to please a human being. So when we ask the question of the implications of my actions, it's much deeper than that for me. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I, 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 I feel called to do sometimes is to make sure people hear what they are saying. Mm-hmm. So in conversations with some of my esteemed colleagues, sometimes I have to say, did you hear what you just said? Mm-hmm. How does that look applied? Apply that. Let's make that practical. And when they start unpacking what they are saying, they can hear it. And how does how do our actions impact one another? And so I had a very real conversation offline with Sarah about white women tears. Mm-hmm. And how they have been violent to my existence. Mm -hmm. But I could only have that conversation with her 
because she was ready for, because our relationship could hold it. Because we had made a promise in our relationship Mm -hmm. to be honest with each other. And so from this, what I've learned, Elizabeth, in my learning, I've I've learned to only only enter into honest relationships. Mm -hmm. Because if we can't have an honest relationship, then we can't deal. Because I'm an honest person. Honesty is such a high value for me that all of my relationships are constructed upon foundational honesty. And one of the things that we joke about in my marriage sometimes is before we even got real serious, <laughs> my husband was like, what do you, what do you want from me? What do you expect? I said, honesty. Mm-hmm. That was it. He was like, really? That's all? Like, what about love? And what about it? That comes from honesty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it it really is a value um, for me. And so um, I'll let Sarah talk and then we'll bring it full circle, I think, a little bit more with this question, because it's a big question. It is a big question. And I do I appreciate the way you're framing it, Elizabeth, as the body of Christ framed, you know, using like through that lens of the trendy, the mutual enveloping. You know, like all of those, all of those seminary, like, you know, terms that we like, that they were like, this is, this is what, you know, Zwingli said, this is what Calvin said, and this is, this is, and, you know, um, like sitting in that room with George Straub and Martha Markish and like going through Reformed theology and having that in, in my brain, right? as a church worker is, um, is really, you know, at least in PCUSA, people are very familiar. Then you get into a program like this, where as a white woman, I'm in a space with women of color, women from, um, different places around the world. Um, you know, men of color, like, folks who have come from different places in the seminary classroom. And I, the body of Christ transformed for me through this experience. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, all of, I'm thinking about this because of one of our cohort mates in their work. So um, definitely shout out to Kristen and her work that she's doing currently in her final project. But, you know, we're, we're like theological education doesn't and Willie James Jennings does a beautiful job of this better than I could of forming people in the way that the Presbyterian Church USA has said you will be formed in this way (laughs) right right and there it's problematic I mean it's just it just is I mean there's 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 not a good or bad right like we're breaking the binary all over the place here but there's problematic elements to that And so when you are in a classroom with people who, like Natasha said, I think it's so important that, like, people have other things going on in their lives, um, and they bring themselves to the body of Christ, and that we were honest with each other, we developed relationships with each other, there are so many stories about that, breaking bread with each other, having meals with each other, Um, and you talk about the implication of our work, but I want to reframe that question in my answer to say we've been transformed by being a part of the program Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And that's what I hear Natasha saying. We we are honest with each other. Natasha talks about accountability a lot. She is the voice in my head so often. Who am I like being accountable to each other? Um, being accountable to what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Um, you are we. I mean, I've made a lot of people mad in different systems by calling things out. <laughs> uh, people don't love that, and. And, you know, we, we had this class, um, with Dr. Hong and Dr. Dawson early on, um, with all these different folks, like to, to really start us out. And Dr. Hong kept talking about being a good ancestor and kept talking about, we are complicit in injustice and harm every day. Mm -hmm. We are talking on technology that is in existence because of, um, harming creation and and our fellow human human beings right and you know the technology like this doesn't come into being just magically <laughs> it does not and so dr hung always talks about reducing the harm we do every day we're complicit in it so just taking that into our work what does that mean for curriculum writing? What does that mean for teaching? What does that mean for preaching? Um, knowing that we're complicit in systems of sin and evil, but how do we reduce the harm? Mm -hmm. And sorry, Natasha, go ahead. No, yeah, no, this is good. I was just going to say, how do we become more like Christ? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Because th in, that is the question that we should ask ourselves every day. Right. And then give the Holy Spirit room to answer that question without mm -hmm. being combative. Right. And we're never going to go back to what it was in January 2020. Right. In our particular context, like sitting here in 2022, it's never going to be that way. It shouldn't be that way. I mean, Sonia Renee Taylor says it better than I do, but we, we're never going to go back. Right. And we shouldn't go back. And so that's something that we continually, as the body, have to evolve. The body lives and breathes and changes. And we do harm to ourselves and the body all the time. We harm each other all the time. <laughs> but mm -hmm. how, how are we better disciples, like Natasha said? How are we more like Christ? Mm -hmm. um, I So I was at a conference that I co-directed in November. Natasha was our keynoter. And part of the worship keynoting leadership team, they really operated as a team. We did very intentionally. Very intentionally. Lovely. To model that, to model that to the people that came. It was camping conference, PCCA camping conference and youth workers, PYWA. And something I was thinking about the other day, Natasha, that I hadn't told you about that just sticks in my mind is Natasha asked the um, facilities and uh, housekeeping staff to come forward in one of the keynotes and to recognize mm -hmm. those folks that were making the conference happen. And I was thinking about that the other day because it is an example of bringing dignity to people, of highlighting that no one is invisible, 
And that we didn't get clean sheets magically. There aren't magical clean sheet elves that come to assembly in. That there are living, breathing people who do the work. And that is the body. Like, that's the work we do. And the more we can, especially people like me who have power and privilege in this world, can continue to help pass the mic, move off the stage, whatever analogy you want to use. I mean, I'm I'm not saying like I'm do it well all the time, but the more we can do that, the better off this denomination in the country and our work is, it's going to be better, right? The better off we will be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's examples like that if I had done the keynote, I never would have thought to do that. It's like, it's, it's, and I mean, I'm just bragging on you, Natasha, but it's like why I love working with you because I was like, what is happening? And Natasha made it happen. I know I'm bragging on you, but like she made it happen. I know it was going to happen. I'm like directing like, la la la, like, you know, we're co-directing sitting there. Um, and it was a beautiful moment and people were touched, like people were teary um, to be recognized in that way. So I think I think that's what our, our call is, right? That's being Christ-like. Yeah. They were humanized in that moment. Mm. Yes. Because mm. before, and maybe even after, maybe even now, they, the people that do this type of work are seen as an extension of a facility, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Which is one of the reasons why I did say soap don't just magically appear, y'all. Them rolls that we love to put butter on, they don't just cook themselves, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, people are an extension of a of a thing of a building. And so, part of my big thing that, but right beside honesty, um, Elizabeth is humanity. Mm-hmm. Like we are human beings, mm-hmm. which is why I will never, it breaks my heart to hear the number of resignations that are happening, to hear the number of, uh, the, the, the number of um, people who are ending their own lives increase on mm-hmm. the other side of some inhumane acts. Mm-hmm. But we are the body of Christ. Right. And it is happening on our watch. And we mm-hmm. have to own it. Right. One of the things I could do is focus on the negativity that the negative comments or the negative feedback that came out of the example that Sarah just named. But I refuse to do that because I know God asked me to do that. Mm-hmm. And so while people will will keep a narrow mind, we can't we can't open everybody's mind. Mm-hmm. And we're not even called to do that. But I will tell you this, the impact of the lives of those people who stood on the stage that they, they are forever changed right. forever. Well, and, and I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw some Luke six out there when Jesus said, <laughs> woe to you people who have folks that only speak well of you. Mm-hmm. You've already gotten your praise. Mm-hmm. Honey, sermon and, on the plane. Okay. <laughs> let me tell you something, honey. The people ain't just speaking well of Natasha or Sarah. <laughs> So we no. good. You covered. You're doing the work. No, <laughs> we're covered. We're good to go. <laughs> good to go. 
<laughs> that is I love it. so true. Well, and I, I appreciate, you know, what you also brought up, Elizabeth, about inclusion. I'm, I have a love hate with that particular word because I'm playing with that with my personal, with my final project and belonging and inclusion um, and playing with it. And it may be semantics a little bit, right? Like there may be the researcher part of me, but That's when you the talk about part, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but when you're talking about that it's it's important to both of us um I do I agree um that is another connection to Tarsha and I have but I will say like inclusion to me this is not original to me but uh that that is about a community I see in a, a community saying we're happy to include you thank you for showing up at our doors you parked in our parking lot so glad you're here mm-hmm. We are a community that that believes X, Y, Z, you know, and ABC, and we have a coffee hour with some cute little cookies afterwards. Please join us, right? Inclusion. I'm hoping, and I, I, I believe that belonging is more. Elizabeth, you bring these gifts to our community, and our community is going to bend and shift and change because of the gifts that you bring, Natasha. So glad that you're here. So like, we believe X, Y, Z. So glad that you're in the space. We are going to bend and change. That inclusion is glad you're joining us, right? It's more rigid. Um, and that, again, it may be semantics, but I think it's an important, like, so I just wanted to highlight your note about inclusion. Um, I hope it's belonging, right? Like, I hope that we are training and learning and unlearning, as Natasha said, and bringing people to a space of belonging and that our communities, I hope, are flexible and nimble enough to say, we are not going to go back to practices before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also hope that people make it from the parking lot into the doors. <laughs> like, what? And this is a question somebody postulated because of my work, which is about LGBTQIA plus youth and and folks. But like, what makes people get out of the parking garage, out of their car and in the doors? It's a really good question. It haunts me. (laughs) And it is. um, I'm going to take it a step further, Sarah. Please do. And then what makes him stay there? Because mm-hmm. I've, okay, what's going to, what is, what is the sense of belonging? Is there a sense of belonging? What is, what is, what is keeping the people there once they make it into the doors? Well, and right. I wonder if belonging, if the first step in belonging is to honor the being. Mm-hmm. Um, Hello. So- be long yes. come on and then we marry that thing don't exactly then, i mean woo. <laughs> i can do some words all day yeah right yeah right yeah that's that's a beautiful point and it's the embodied like we don't we don't do this you know outside of ourselves it's not just a thought exercise right mm-hmm. right it's, and, and, and that is part of the invitation to um live your life in a way that could answer the questions that we are, to Mm -hmm. use your word, Sarah, postulating. 
because mm-hmm. we don't answer the question behind the desk. Mm-hmm. The question might form behind the desk or might form, but it's not going to be fully answered unless it is embodied. And did not Christ teach us that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Y'all, we 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 call we are we have called ourselves Christians. Mm-hmm. And that comes with a responsibility. So this program is very robust in that it doesn't allow you to just sit behind the desk or get into a book to find the answer. Uh-uh. You have to put point. your life with it. You have to put some skin in the game. You're yeah. gonna have to, you're gonna have to make some 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 difficult calls. And mm-hmm. even if <laughs> even if the the program itself doesn't call for it. Life does. Hello, mm-hmm. uh, COVID nineteen that came mm-hmm. in and interrupted everything we had going on. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. and and made us shift and do things differently. Testing our commitment to the call mm-hmm. to to um, higher education. So it is shaping us in a way that I, it is shaping me in a way I didn't know I need shaped. Mm-hmm. Okay. No. I didn't know I needed this shaping. Mm-hmm. I thought I was already committed to, I'm already a lifelong educator. I'm already doing the things, Jesus, that you called mm-hmm. me to do. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know I needed to be shaped in this way. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I agreed. I just, I love that, Natasha. Like this, the shaping, we've talked a lot about embodiment, but I mean, that shaping and that evolution the learning and the unlearning um, are things again. And, and maybe I just came to it cocky, right? Maybe I just came to it being like, I got this, right? Like, this is going to be educational ministry. Like, I got it. Let's do it. We are not sitting around making felt boards, right? Like, we're not doing that. It is, it is, it is just not. That's good. It's, it's not. And, and even when we did make felt boards, well, they weren't actually felt boards. It was just, you know, we had to do that chart thing our first yep. class. They yeah. were so deep. <laughs> they were so storied. It had so much information that it's like, oh, oh, that's all. Okay, go ahead, Sarah. No, no, no. I, I mean, like, Natasha, that first couple of weeks, was exhausting, right? Like we were in this, we were in this class together, getting to know people, right? That was hard. But then it was also taking, learning, unlearning, being in the space with new people, long days. But Dr. Hong and Dr. Dawson asked us, eating popcorn, having snacks, but like they asked us to write our story on poster board and I, being the high achiever that I am, was like, these are the things that have happened to me. And these are the achievements I have made. And Dr. Dawson and Dr. Hong gave them back to us a couple of years ago. <laughs> and I was like, what was wrong with me? Right? Because I was like this production oriented, nothing was, I mean, like wrong, wrong. But y'all know what I mean? Like, it was all about what can you produce Right. What is the end result? What are these degrees? Um, <laughs> and, I just, and here go Natasha come up and talk. So, yeah, my baby died. And here right. I am. Right. 
Mm. Right. Natasha <laughs> just came into that space talking about grief, brought her whole self in our first class. It was beautiful and vulnerable. And I mean, you took our class immediately to a deeper place. Like everybody. Was, was like, I'm, te- I'm telling when I tell y'all, I had nothing to prove at that point. I was like, right. I have nothing. This is, this is all of me. Mm-hmm. And creating the space, that brave space. Oh my goodness. The books that, that we had read for the program up to that point, I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, she, she, she bringing all of her, all of Natasha is about to come into this room. Right. Right. Patrick Reyes talking about nobody cries when we die. I mean, everybody needs to read that book. Um, I mean, like everybody. I'm write that down. <laughs> Nobody cries when we die. That now that thing did something to me, and that that moment talking to him, and then Doctor Home bringing her daughter, who was an infant at the time, into and letting me hold her. I mean, it that class, like we we were, (laughs) we really did come to this space from all these different places, and and after that, I mean, we were like, well, this is our cohort, right? And and we're doing this for the next four, four and a half, five years, whatever it was, we're doing this together. And it has not been simple. I mean, people have lost jobs. Um, They've had like losses and, um, (laughs) you know, they've had like, like they've had all kinds of griefs and stuff, but, and people have had new jobs too. Yes. There has not been, there have not been like one moment that has like stayed the same, right? Because in th- four years, you know. Nothing's the same. Right. Nothing's the same. In anybody's life. Right. Right. So we've, yeah, anyway, we like, I don't mean to take us off topic. It's just that this, like the program is unique and I and I cannot speak to a PhD program or a DMIN program because I haven't been a part of it. But it is a more vulnerable, emotional, human, <laughs> accountable space. And isn't that what we do in ministry? Is like we walk with people in all of their humanity. <laughs> That's the call. With deep That's honesty. The call. With deep honesty. <laughs> That's the call. I hope, yeah. I hope so. And one of the one of the um, so let me. Is this one or two podcasts? It's one, but we can do two. I'm happy to do five. Okay, because um, we might need to, because we we about to go into something else. Yeah, we are. That's right. So what That's we're right. going to do is we're going to go ahead and shut this one down, but we're going to come back <laughs> with another one because this is good stuff. Before we do, Natasha, tell us what Centering the Sacred is, please. Oh, yeah. Because this is important. It's- <laughs> yes. Okay. So. Center in the Sacred is a ministry um, born from my husband. Okay, so my husband is working on his PhD. Boring. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) in one of his conversations with with his advisor, his his work is about um, Black male spirituality Mm. in predominantly white institutions. And um, how 
as black males, you want to continue to be shaped and spiritually, uh, you want to continue to develop spiritually. And he's, he's doing the research in that. So one of the things that he, that came out of one of his conversations with his advisor was that he wanted to center the sacred. And that's what he, for him, spirituality is about centering whatever is sacred. So he comes home and he tells me about this conversation. I was like, Ooh, this name, that's a great name. Let's write that down and put it away. And so this was in about 2017, Mm -hmm. 17. Um, And when we moved to Texas, um, opportunities came up for us to um, really embody that research that had already um, been put forth. And we um, made it formal um, because uh, as my father-in-law says, he gets out of us bootlegging. Shout out to him. So we didn't want to be bootleggers. So um, we we did everything we needed to do to make it official. And so Centering the Sacred is a place where we, you know, we exist to facilitate um, mm-hmm. uh, spiritual development, um, holistic wellness, and um, just for people to be able to embrace whatever is sacred to them and realizing that everybody doesn't know what is sacred. Right. We say things a lot that are not members of who we are. Mm -hmm. And so I do the work of introducing people to what they say and and allowing them to feel how it lands on them personally. Once, um, so we do some um, curriculum development, we do coaching, um, we have done some mentoring um, right now, one of one of my favorite things is this little community Bible study with the people. They love me and I love them. And I was actually invited into that space. Um, we are our philosophy is um, that similar to the Christian Community Development Association. Um, and you can look them up on ccda.org. But um, Centering the Sacred, we, we do the work um, of helping people center whatever is sacred in their lives and grow from there. Mm-hmm. That is lovely. That is necessary. Thank you so Thank much. You. Do you want to hit us with that website real fast? Yes, it is. You can find us at www.centeringthesacred.com. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah and Natasha. I have just loved every second of this. So Um, I'm looking forward to our next time together. Uh, And thank you everybody for listening and we will see you later. Bye y'all. Bye. In the Senate of the Sun, we believe when we work together across boundaries, we make visible the good news and find wholeness as the body of Christ. In our common calling, we impact lives together. So let's remember to connect with, equip, and empower one another in the name of Jesus Christ, today and every day.